Hello and welcome to the journalism.co.uk podcast, a show where we bring you insights from media industry experts to help journalists do their jobs better. I'm your host, Jacob Granger. This week, we're going to talk about finding the strength to carry on when our jobs as journalists are at their hardest. Nowhere is it harder than when we are quite literally on the firing line. There are some amazing journalists around the world right now reporting from war zones and calling out corrupt governments. They do so at great personal risk to their careers, finances, families and even lives. But what makes them carry on? I know I've wondered. What we might have long called good old-fashioned journalistic grit to get on with the job is more likely something called moral courage. That's according to Dr Anthony Feinstein a professor of psychiatry at the University of Toronto, a world-leading expert on the psychological effects of conflict reporting, and the author of a new book, Moral Courage, 19 Profiles of Investigative Journalists. So what drives journalists to go to such extraordinary lengths for the story? The short answer is that not doing so is simply not an option. The emotions and mental states we'll cover today aren't just restricted to those covering the conflicts in the Middle East and Ukraine either. With declining press freedom in Western democracies and increasing online abuse towards journalists, you'll be surprised to learn that all of this is much closer to home than you might think. Stay tuned to learn about all the red flags to watch out for and the safeguarding techniques that you can use. Don't go anywhere. Anthony, welcome to the journalism.co.uk podcast. Thank you ever so much for coming on our show. I'm very pleased to be here. Anthony, I'd like to start just by acknowledging that what we'll talk about today is perhaps not very festive. Um, you've created, you've published this brilliant book about moral courage, which very much looks at where journalists find the strength to carry on in the pursuit of their jobs, which are often quite difficult. But when it comes to what journalists are dealing with, the emotional baggage that they have, whether that's PTSD, depression, burnout, I guess in many ways, it, you know, those sort of things don't really care about the date on the calendar, do they? No, that's right. I mean, I think these are occupational hazards that can occur at any period. Yeah. As I said, I think a, a core question at the heart of your book is, is what really drives investigative journalists to put themselves uh, in the line of danger, risk their lives in the pursuit of this profession that they love? Tell us a little bit more about that, if you would, Anthony. Yeah, so the question that interested me about these journalists is what motivates them to do this kind of work when they know that the risk is very high. And the risk is, you know, things like arrest, torture, um, not being able to work, uh, mock execution. um, And sometimes there's a very real risk of, of getting killed. And one of the journalists in my book indeed was killed. So you, you have to have a very deep motivation to pursue work faced with risks like these. And while motivation is a complex task, and I don't want to boil it down to a single variable, I believe that a strand that links all 19 journalists in my book is something called moral courage. And this arises from a confluence of of factors. Um, You have to have certain principles. You then have to have the drive and the energy to pursue those principles. And then there needs to be this background of danger and risk. So you have these three intersecting factors at the center of which you have moral courage. And the point that I make in my book is that this moral courage that the journalists show is an antidote to moral injury. And so the next question is, well, what is moral injury? And moral injury, the definition that I like, um, 
is it's a condition that can arise from witnessing or perpetrating or failing to prevent acts that transgress your moral compass. And so um, it can come about from acts of commission, things that you do or things that other people do, or acts of omission, things that you fail to do. Um, And the consequences are you feel that you're morally compromised somehow. And that's associated with very uncomfortable emotions like shame and guilt, disgust and anger. And to keep these powerful emotions at bay, moral courage helps. And so you do something. And for all these journalists, keeping quiet is just not an option. It's inexcusable. By keeping quiet, it's an act of omission, a failure to do something, failure to call out your government, a failure to call out your prime minister or your president for morally egregious behavior. And so rather than keep quiet, which becomes the conduit to moral injury, they speak out and that's their moral courage. It's incredibly fascinating. I think Hannah Storm, when we had her on our podcast, um, co-founder of the Headlines Network, a huge ally in the conversation around mental health and journalism, she described moral injury as a bruise on the soul. Yeah, it is like that. Um, you, know, you know, my definition just kind of puts the meat on the bones, but it's a, you know, it's a very uncomfortable uh, condition. It's not a mental illness. I want to stress that. It's, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder is a mental illness, for example. Moral injury is not. And journalists are not that familiar with, with moral injury. The military have known about it for a long time. Soldiers coming back from the war in Iraq, 2003, 2004, 2005, there was a lot of moral injury in this group. You can go back to Vietnam, there was moral injury in the veterans coming home from that conflict. So the military are familiar with it. They've developed self-report rating scales in which you can quantify the symptoms of moral injury and look at their severity using these rating scales. Uh, when Hannah Storm and I did a study about five years back looking at the uh, migration crisis in Europe, there's this huge wave of migrants moving across Europe, and we looked at how journalists were coping with that emotionally, we found quite a high level of, of moral injury. And at the time, we had to borrow from the military um, these military scales to try and record the symptoms of moral injury. Subsequently, my research group has developed a moral injury scale specifically for journalists um, because you need some means of quantifying and detecting this phenomenon in, 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 in journalism. Yeah. When you went through the emotions that we can potentially feel when we are experiencing moral injury. One of those you spoke about was guilt. Of course, at the time of talking, there is a conflict happening in the Middle East, but a lot of the reporters who are covering that are maybe doing so from the comfort of their own home. And there's kind of a guilt there, isn't there, where you're reporting from a position of safety where others don't have that option. So how relevant is this discussion just for all journalists right now, whether or not they're in a war zone or in fact, they're reporting from their newsrooms or like a bedroom like mine. I think, you know, you, you raise a good point, but there, there are many traps with, with, with moral injury. And I think you have to be careful of guilt because it can often be misplaced. Um, you know, if you're doing a good job and you convey the news in a responsible, factual way, that's really important. And to feel guilty because you're doing it, I think, can, can be a mistake. And so one of the traps of moral injury is, is, is misplaced guilt. And I come across this all the time. I'll give you a practical example of it. Photographers from time to time say to me, when they get awards for taking incredible photographs of war and conflict, they say they feel guilty that somehow they're feeding off the misery of other people, that they've benefited from the pain of others. And then you know, they're given this wonderful award. And of course, they're like, you know, it's a recognition on one level, this, this comes at a cost. I, I, I've, um, I've intruded into other people's suffering. I have no right to be there. And they feel guilty about that. 
you know, and that's misplaced guilt. I mean, the bottom line is it's a photographer's job to take photographs and photographs keep us informed. They tell a powerful story. Um, you need photographers to be there to have a visual record of what's going on. They are visual historians. And so there are many reasons why you want, you know, brave photographers to be on the front lines. And so when, you know, when photographers approach me and, 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 and and divulge that they're feeling guilty, I take them through the notion of moral injury and say, be careful of the trap over here, be careful of this cognitive trap. The guilt that you feel is misplaced. Um, you know, you, the only way you can take the photograph is to be there. You can't take photographs virtually, you've got to be on site. And so we kind of work things through this way to try and overcome this, the, 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 the guilt and sometimes shame that comes with, with moral injury. Right. That's interesting, because when we think about courage, we can often think of that as like an innate quality of somebody being courageous or not. But from what you describe there, it feels more like a reasoning or a skill that you can develop in order to sort of subsume some of your guilt or whatever emotions you're feeling. So is, is moral courage something that you can work on? Or is it something that people just innately have or do not have? Yeah, I mean, you, you touch on a good point, because I, you know, I define three ingredients that you that you need for for moral courage. And this comes from work of a researcher called Rushworth Kidder. You need your, you need the background of danger. You need the endurance or the motivation to do something, but then you need the principles. That's very important, the principles. That comes, that overlaps in with, you know, your moral injury, the, the principles, your, your, your moral compass. If, for example, you've the danger is there and you've got the motivation to do something, but there's no principle, then that's not moral courage. It's just courage, physical courage. There's nothing wrong with that, but you know, the, the principles are absent and so you can't say, well, this is moral courage. But when the principles are there, that's when you bring in this cognitive component, the thing that you just highlighted with your question. Um, when you've got this moral compass that you feel obliged to act upon, and then there's a background of danger, which there is in all these journals that I've written about, and then you've got the endurance, the motivation to do it. When those three factors coalesce at the center of that, you've got your moral courage. If one of those ingredients is missing, you don't have moral courage. So, for example, if, the, if, it's, if it's dangerous, if, if the, the story is dangerous and you've got the high principles, but you don't do anything, well, then it's timidity. It's not moral courage. Um, if the principles are lacking, but the danger is there and you've got the motivation to do something, then it's just courage. So you really have to have those three components as Rushworth Kidder pointed out. And I think when they coalesce, that's when you've got the moral, the moral courage story. Right. So when people do have moral courage, are they aware of it? Or is it something that they have actively worked on? That's a great question. I don't believe they are aware of it. Um, they may be, but they may not be. And in my discussions with the journalists um, who are in my book, I raise this with them. And I, and I talk them through the understanding of, of moral courage. And... Um, for many of them, they haven't broken it down into those components. They haven't thought it through. They they do it because they believe very firmly that's the right thing to do. So clearly the principles are there, but that's been around for a long time. Um, the courage is there because they're doing it and the danger is absolutely there because we're talking about countries like Russia and Belarus, etc., where you know it's very hazardous to be a journalist who, uh, who wants to tell the truth. So... Um, they're not they're not aware of those the journalists in question are not aware of those of those subtle nuances of you know why what are the factors that underlie my motivation they're just doing it because they believe it's the right thing to do but they all say to me a man and woman they all say to me um if they don't do it they feel guilty they feel ashamed and that for me is the clue because guilt and shame are the two primary emotions of moral injury 
So by acting in this way, by by standing up and calling out the governments, by taking on drug cartels and taking on you know very dangerous men and women, they 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 display the moral courage, and this moral courage becomes the antidote to the shame and guilt. Um, if they don't speak out, it becomes an act of omission, and that for them is a moral failure, and that leads to, I believe, a sense of moral injury and these and these very painful emotions. By speaking out, they feel good about themselves. They feel better about themselves, even though they recognize how dangerous it is. And the fascinating part about this book is that for these men and women in it, um, they would rather confront the dangers of speaking out than staying quiet. Staying quiet is just not an option for them. They are overcome by feelings of shame and guilt and, you know, somewhere I've failed. they, They can't do this. And so they're compelled to speak out, even though they know the risks that come with it. Wow. I mean, I don't want to downplay or underestimate how difficult it is to do what you're describing, to speak out against these powerful regimes and authorities. But when you have this moral courage, does it make it slightly easier in any sense? I think it's easier on one level because for these people, you are keeping the shame and guilt in bay. You don't have these uncomfortable emotions. You don't have a sense of personal failure that I've somehow failed myself and my principles, which can be a very uncomfortable thing to live with for these individuals. At the same time, it's absolutely not easy to do this because the price that they pay is a very, very heavy one. You know, they're arrested. Um... Governments try and break them. They try and break their careers. They try and ruin them financially. Um, they arrest them. They beat them up. I mean, it's really hazardous. Um, the Russian journalist David Frankel had his arm broken. Um, many of these journalists have been incarcerated. The cartoonist Kishore in Bangladesh was locked up and tortured. Uh, Mohammed Masayid in Iran was locked up and tortured. Um, so the consequences that come from speaking out are very severe. Anna Politkovskaya was killed because she spoke out against Putin repeatedly. She detested Putin and she wouldn't keep quiet. And people would tell her, tone down your rhetoric. You know, this is dangerous stuff. And she knew it was dangerous. And they, you know, she was murdered on Putin's birthday. So there you see the consequences of, of speaking out, of how, of how difficult it is. So on one level, speaking out... Um, uh, stops you feeling guilty, stops you feeling ashamed, and you feel good about yourself because you've done it. But on another level, the consequences make life very, very difficult for you for yourself in these countries. I mean, that is a rock and a hard place, Anthony, isn't it? Because if you feel so compelled to speak out, but you're also quite rightly scared about the consequences of doing so, what kind of a position does that put you in? A very, very difficult one, absolutely. And that, 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 that's why I wanted to write about these journalists, because it's such a remarkable thing that they do. Um, they, they're fully aware of the risks. Um, now, occasionally, um, you know, these journalists say to me that when the risks become too high, they have to leave. Um, so um, the, the Mexican photojournalist um, Marquez, you know, when, when the risk in Mexico became so extreme for him, he had to go into exile for a year. He had to leave Mexico. And only then would he come back when, you know, he thought that the risk had settled somewhat. Um, uh, the Serbian ge- journalist, Stevan Dokzinovic, um, from time to time has to leave Serbia when he feels that the risk is, is too high. And he, you know, just to let things cool down a little bit before he comes back. So they constantly are praising risk because they're so acutely aware of what the risks are. Um, but it's a, you know, it's a remarkable thing that they do because these individuals are often the very last vestiges of civil society in their country. 
you know, these authoritarian regimes, these dictatorial rulers have essentially destroyed civil society in countries like Russia and Belarus, etc. They've uh, broken the courts. There is no justice system. The judges are in their pockets. Um, the NGOs have been forced to leave the country. And who's left? The people who are left are this handful of journalists who prepare to take them on. And these, you know, these autocratic rulers know that if you want to control the message, you have to control the media. So they go after journalists in a very vicious and a very, and, and a very violent way. Um, and the journalists know this. And so the majority of them are, are cowered into silence. They don't say anything because the risks are so high. And then you've got the small handful of individuals who I feel represent the last vestiges of civil society. And they're speaking out. They're holding these rulers accountable. They're speaking out against the, the, the drug cartels, against the criminal elements that have taken over elements of society. Mexico being such, an, such a good example of this. Um, you know, the, the last bastions of, of civil society are these journalists. And um, and so you celebrate their lives. You just acknowledge this extraordinary courage that they that they show to do this. Okay, so let's recap. Moral courage is the antidote to moral injury, which is participating in or witnessing events that go against our moral code and values. Moral courage comes down to three ingredients: the context, something we see as wrong the endurance to not let it break us, and the principles to act upon the two and do something about it. All three need to come together. Any journalist willing to put themselves in harm's way to do their job has these three qualities, whether they know it or not. This is not just about reporting from a war zone, though. The situation is likely to get worse for journalists in democracies like the UK and the US, where press freedom is slipping, according to this year's Reporters Without Borders Press Freedom Index. Some of the journalists have said to me, you know, don't think that in your democracies you're completely immune from this. Um, you know, people like Donald Trump learn from the playbooks of these dictatorial rulers. You know, Trump admires people like Putin or Orban in Hungary or Erdogan in Turkey. Um, he's seen how they control the media, how they control the message. And this is, you know, this is such, this is irresistible to, you know, to the strong man who, who, who wants to control everything. And so they borrow from this playbook. And that's the risk to our democracy, that um, what's going on in these countries, seemingly quite far away from us, um, can seep into our democracy. That These ways of controlling the media, trying to, to, to break journalists, to control the press, um, are, are very tempting to, to people like, like, like Donald Trump. And, um, and that's the worry, um, that... Uh, these these um, these elements can seep into our democracy. I believe they are already, um, and we have to be alert to that. If they are likely going to be coming up against these handbook of techniques, if they are experiencing some of these emotions around guilt and shame, and feel so compelled to put themselves in the in in the line of danger to do their jobs, is there any way that they can mitigate these risks? Is there anything they can do to really protect themselves? What would be your message along those lines? When you take on this kind of work, then be aware of what the psychological risks are. You know, become educated about what is moral injury. Understand what it is. Um, understand that, you know, moral injury can lead to very uncomfortable um, emotions like shame and guilt, etc. And, you know, be aware of things like misplaced guilt, etc. Because that can kind of paint you into a corner and, um, 
you know, leave you with a lot of emotions that you really shouldn't be feeling. And so through educating yourself about the psychological risks that come with activities like this, I think you're going to be better prepared as a journalist. And that's why education is so important. And having educational sessions with journalists, I think, is key to trying to help them emotionally. So you educate journalists. What is moral injury? What is post-traumatic stress disorder? What are the signs and symptoms? What, what should I look out for? So if you indeed start displaying these kinds of difficulties, then you're going to be in a better position to reach out for help. Um, because these uncomfortable emotions can be dealt with. Therapy can be very effective in helping you with these difficult emotions. And like anything in medicine, the sooner you intervene, generally the better the outcome. And you're going to be more likely to intervene early if you understand what's going on. So I think education becomes the key to looking after your emotional health when you do difficult work like this. And if you ignore the moral injury, if you don't deal with it, what happens? Well, then you can get into some really slippery territory. You know, moral injury comes with um, behavioral changes. Um, people can become cynical. They can start to doubt themselves. They start to doubt their profession. Why am I doing this? Am I making a difference? Um, you can start be becoming withdrawn socially. You tend to cut yourself off from your colleagues, etc. You get a sense of alienation. You tend to view your, your profession in a negative light because you're feeling ashamed by things. And so the consequences of moral injury can be really quite profound. Um, you, can, you can find yourself distancing emotionally from people who are close to you. Your relationships start suffering. Um, and so it spills over and it affects your private life and it affects your work environment. You know, you don't want cynical people as colleagues. You don't want embittered, angry, cynical individuals um, reporting on the news, telling you what's going on, because it will undoubtedly be, you know, there'll be a bias in terms of what, they, of what they're reporting. They will see the world in, with a different set of eyes compared to someone who's emotionally well. And so you, you really have to be careful of the consequences of, of, of moral injury. And moral injury then can become the conduit to things like substance abuse. You start drinking because your emotions are so uncomfortable. Your sense of shame and guilt can morph into things like depression, uh, spilling out and affecting many aspects of your day-to-day -day functioning. Right. But it's the moral courage which is really the, the antidote to all of this. And is part of that relying on colleagues and the, the collegiate atmosphere of the newsroom? I think it is, yeah. I mean, I don't want to be over-reductionistic here. You know, it's, it's not one single factor that's motivating people. It's not going to be one single mental attribute that's going to hold it all together. I think it's a key one, but there are going to be other things as well. But you're right. I think um, you know, having good colleagues, um, having a good newsroom, having a good culture in the newsroom, a healthy culture in the newsroom um, is very important. You know, I've done this work now for 23 years and I've accumulated a very large database of um, behavioral characteristics in frontline journalists, lots of data in relation to depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, demographic data, etc. And these are databases that come from Western journalists who've covered many different wars, but also local journalists in places like Mexico, Kenya, Iran, Israel, Afghanistan, Syria, etc. So over a thousand uh, individuals. And we've mined these data to see, you know, what, what are the protective factors? What, what keeps journalists emotionally well? And the single biggest protective factor across all these countries, across all these cultures, is a good relationship. Um, and we know that. We know that from general psychiatry, that when you've got good relationships, and um, this is a buffer to one's uh, emotional health. It's something that's protective. It nurtures you. Um, so you want to have good relationships. 
And one of the risks of something like moral injury, when you start becoming um, cynical about your work and about your work environment and about your news organization, is that these relationships start to fray. And then, you, you know, thereby you lose the single biggest protective factor that you got with respect to your emotional health. And so you've got to look after those things. I think a good culture in the newsroom is absolutely essential to maintain good work relationships. And by doing so, you're boosting the single biggest protective factor with respect to your emotional health. So all these things are interlinked. They're all allied. And you can't take this for granted. It's something that you've got to be aware of and you've got to work towards fostering and, and nurturing. I think that's a massive point, Anthony, that the one of the biggest consequences of all of this is losing the one single biggest protective uh, factor and insulating factors. And I think that's something massive to take away. Well, I think you know what's interesting about that is it's, it's something that transcends cultures and countries. There's, you know, there's, like, there's a universal truth here. Everybody wants us. You know, it doesn't matter where you are. You want a good relationship um, for, for all sorts of reasons. Uh, and one of which is it's protective with respect to your mental health. And when you're doing, you know, a difficult job like journalism and you're having to, you know, tell stories that are so painful at times when you've seen people who've lost everything, who've been displaced by war, whose lives have been destroyed, who've lost loved ones, etc. You really want to come home to an environment that's healthy. You want to work in an environment that's healthy. You want to have relationships that are solid, that are good, that are not destructive that are not part of, you know, the conflict that you see all around you. You do not want conflictual relationships. And when you view your own organization in, in a negative light, when you feel that your own organization has lost its moral compass, or you feel that some of your colleagues have lost their moral compass, or the editorial staff have lost their moral compass, and you have a sense of moral injury, that makes it so much more complicated because you're dealing on the one hand with really difficult news, lots of traumatic stories, but then your work environment has been undermined by what you see as this morally compromised stance. And so there's no respite for you. Um, you know, you're moving from difficult stories to difficult work relationships to a difficult work environment. And if it's a spilling over into your personal life, then you're coming home to a, you know, a family that's not happy, relationships that are not healthy and nurturing. And so you can see how the whole thing starts unraveling for certain individuals. To try and prevent that happening, you've got to be familiar with the concept of moral injury and understanding what moral courage is, um, because it's, you know, these things are protective. They're good for your mental health. Mm. I think we've found our festive point in the end, which is perhaps the uh, the collaborative nature of journalists, you know, the the collegiate atmosphere of a newsroom and just, you know, relying on each other and finding support for each other. So, Anthony, I think that's a great place to leave the, the conversation and thank you ever so much for coming on our podcast to talk to us uh, about this. Thank you for your interest. I enjoy talking to you. So my takeaway for today is that there really is strength in numbers. It is people that make all the difference. Moral injury can erode the single biggest protective factor that we have, our support network. Conversely, moral courage is strengthened by having a strong newsroom around us. I'd love to know what you took from today's conversation. Find me on LinkedIn, Twitter, slash X at JPG Journalism, or email me on jacobatjournalism.co.uk. You can check out all of our episodes on all your usual podcast platforms, SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Just search and subscribe to the journalism.co.uk podcast. But that's all we have time for this week. I've been your host, Jacob Granger. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.